All right. Evening, church. Thanks for coming out to uh, our first Wednesday night of 2022. Sorry you got me instead of pastor, um, but he is actually unwell. So we're obviously going to take some... Caleb's surprised by that. What? Yes, pastor is unwell, so we're going to take some time to pray uh, after this tonight. So just remember him, remember his family and your prayers. Um, obviously, as he's kind of half out of action, pastor's out of action, so I guess that means Vicky's cooking dinner tonight, so pray for them. Um, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to share with you a few things uh, that I picked up uh, during a Bible reading last year. Uh, we took our youth group through uh, the book of John, and what we did is we just broke it down into, I think it was 20 verse increments to read uh, each day uh, for the term. Uh, so we as leaders obviously did that with them um, and we talked about those um, like passages each time we kind of came to youth and just discussed it a little bit. Uh, but what I found when, when doing that is, you know, sometimes you can just scoff through a meal real quick. It might be a really nice meal, but you just get it over and done with and don't think too much about it. You enjoy it while you have it. Uh, but sometimes when you just savour it a little bit more, you know, take slow bites and chew on it and enjoy the goodness that comes out of that meat or whatever it is that you're eating, you get a whole lot more enjoyment and a whole lot more out of it. It was a little bit like doing this, like just taking it slow, uh, not bursting through a whole, you know, chapter of a Bible reading and then just forgetting everything. I found for me it was like just taking little chunks, little bite-sized pieces, but then through the day kind of chewing on what I had read that morning. Um, and so as I was doing that, I just jotted a few things down that kind of stood out to me over that time. So that's really what I'm just going to share with you tonight. Just a few verses, a few things that kind of stood out to me through that. Um, I know, you know, we've all sat under a lot of preaching and a lot of good preaching flows really nicely and verses flow into each other. This is not that, okay? This is just this thought, this thought, this verse, um, and, you know, hopefully it's a blessing to you. It was a blessing to me. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll just get stuck into a few of these tonight. All right, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you that we can gather together. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you do invite us to draw nearer to you, and, our uh, Father, that you don't cast us out, that you hear us, uh, you see us openly, and, our uh, Father, we thank you that you welcome us. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity tonight just to gather together as a church and uh, even just to open your word and to, to chew on some of these scriptures, Lord God, and just uh, thank you for what you've given us in your word. Uh, Father, help us to learn tonight, uh, help us to be encouraged and to encourage, and uh, Father, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you're not already, uh, we'll turn to the book of John and we'll actually look at a, our first verse here in John chapter 2. Um, John chapter 2, and obviously familiar story, pretty much all of these are familiar to us, uh, but it's the story about the wedding in Cana, Jesus' first miracle, turning the water into wine. Um, and have a look, pretty much start in verse number 3, John chapter 2. It says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whosoever, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Verse 7, Jesus saith unto the, to them, that's the servants, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it 
And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Verse 10, And saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. And like I said, it's a story we've heard before, Jesus' first miracle. It's, it's amazing. It's miraculous. It's something that you look at and you just go, how? How does God do that? Um, but what I wanted to point out that actually stood out to me, and we had this discussion in the office. That I remember the day that I, I read this verse and I'm like, I'm going to write that down. I just thought about that. That you look at this story and, you know, Jesus turns the water into wine. He gets his servants to, to fill the water pots with water they bring it to the governor, and the governor's like, wow, this, this wine is amazing. It's like everyone usually just leaves the bad stuff to the end, but you've left the, the awesome stuff to the end. And he was surprised by it. And he, you would say, you know, in a sense, he was blessed by it, like blessed by Jesus' miracle of sorts. But what stood out to me is that the servants were the ones who put the water in the water pots, and Jesus told them to do that. And I just thought, why did Jesus do that? Because Jesus being Jesus... He can do anything. He could, at the you know, at his word, just have the water turn into wine or have the pots already filled with wine. Uh, he didn't have to tell them to go and fill the water, fill the pots with water. And I thought it's interesting that that step was added to it. And then you read a few verses down when they brought the the wine to the governor. It says that the governor, I think it was verse nine. Uh, when the rule of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. He didn't know where it came from. He didn't know that Jesus had done a miracle. And then in brackets it says, but the servants which drew the water knew. They knew what had happened. They knew the whole story. So they were like privy to a whole lot more. They actually had a part to play in this miracle that Jesus performed. And I thought, you know what, that's interesting that there's people that are blessed by God's work. You can say that this governor was blessed by God's work of sorts. But then there's people who get to be a part of God's work and they get to see and actually action. They, they put some feet to some things and they get to, I guess, co-labor alongside God a little bit in their service. And really, that's every one of us that serves. That's every one of us that does something for the Lord. We get to see, I guess, a little bit behind the scenes and get to see, you know, what actually actually saw a little bit more of that. I, I took part of the work that God did in that. And so they would have, I guess, got a, a bigger blessing from being part of that work. And God didn't have to do it that way. And so I guess, to me, that was just like, wow, you know what? God doesn't have to use me the way that he does. God doesn't have to use any of us the way that he does. But he actually gives us opportunity. So he, gives, he gave those servants opportunity to actually be a part of his miracle. Like I said, he could have just gone, okay, they're already filled. <laughs> he could have changed the, the wine that was already in the governor's cup to that good wine. He could have done any of those things, but he chose to use people. And that was just an encouragement to me to go, you know what, I'm, I'm blessed by what God lets me be able to do. And really from that helps you to be a little bit more grateful for the opportunities that God gives. So that's random thought number one, okay? So we're just going to go through a few of these. So that's the first one, uh, just being a blessing by being part of what God does. Uh, the next one is also in John 2. And if you have a look down in verse 13, um, this is when Jesus takes, um, 
He, you know, he, cha- he chases out the money changes in the temple. He cleanses the temple. Uh, but we'll look at verse 13 and just read down to verse 22. It says this, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes' money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? So they're obviously challenging him, saying, Who do you think you are? And he's saying in verse 18, then answer, uh, verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. And in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. And verse 22 is what stood out to me. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And isn't it interesting that the disciples, you know, walking with Jesus for a number of years, being part of his ministry, uh, even doing miracles and seeing everything that they saw um, all through the years that he was alive on earth, it was interesting that here it says it wasn't until that he actually died and rose again that they went, ah, now, now I believe that scripture, now I believe that word that he said. So they'd heard it all, they'd seen it all take place, but then it wasn't until afterwards that they, they realised it all, that they actually probably fully got it, they fully believed it. And it just stood out to me like, you know what, you can, be, you can be a mature Christian for a number of years, you can be in church for you know, a lot of time, um, you can be around Christianity for a lot of time, uh, but you're not always just going to get everything straight away. And that's okay. If you have a, have a willing heart to learn and, and you know, understand and be teachable, that's probably one of the best things that you can have. But it was just an encouragement to me to go, you know what, it doesn't matter how spiritual you are, it doesn't matter how much you, you spend time in church, maybe there's some things that you're going to miss, but then God can also reveal that to you later on and help you to get it. And it was also a little bit of maybe I need to have some patience with some younger Christians, uh, some immature Christians, or maybe even some other people from different churches or different backgrounds and go, you know what, Maybe they've heard all the things in the Bible that I've heard, but they don't quite get it. So just have a little bit of patience with them. So that was just a little bit of an encouragement to me that, you know, there's still things to learn. There's still things to grow in. Uh, I don't know it all. We don't know it all. But God can reveal things to us along the way. So if if it can happen to the disciples, pretty sure it's it's probably going to happen to me as well in that way. So that's another one. So that was an encouragement to me. It doesn't matter how spiritual we are. Um, some things might take time to understand or even believe. All right, next one is John 4, just over the page. John chapter 4. I like this one. This one's a good one. Uh, the, the woman of Samaria. So she's at the well. Uh, Jesus comes by and they talk about you know, drawing water and he doesn't have anything to draw with. And then they get into a discussion of worship and of sorts. Um, And then if you just jump down to verse 13, uh, it says this, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, he's talking about the water in the well, 
shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Verse 17, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that sayest thou truly. Then the woman says, saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet, and goes on from there, and she realises who she actually is, and goes and tells everyone about who she is. And what really stood out to me in this passage is that this is two people having a conversation about salvation, really. So this lady has her thoughts of worship and God and, and what, you know, maybe what salvation is, what it means, uh, who can give it. Uh, Jesus obviously is salvation. He is the one who can bring that to a person's life. So Jesus doesn't just jump straight in and just tell her, hey, you know, I'm the way, the truth, of life. They have a little bit of a discussion and he gets on her level a little bit. But what's interesting is that when she realises, hang on a minute, this man can give me something that this life can't give, when she started to be interested in salvation, when she started to tweak a little bit like, hey, this, this person has something that I need, Jesus actually pinpointed something in her life at that point. He asked her a pointed question that actually had to do with sin. It actually had to do with something inside her heart. If you have a look in verse 15... The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Ah, sorry, not 15, sorry. Uh, he says in verse 13, If you drink of this water, shall thirst again, but whoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Uh, and then she... Oh, it's, I'm sorry, I've <laughs> gone the wrong way. Uh, is it 16? It is not 16. It's where she says, Give me this water. And I can't see it for looking. 15. That's what I said, didn't I? Yes, I told you I was right. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She's going, I want that. I want salvation. And then what does he say straight after that? He says, go call thy husband. How are those two things linked? It's because he's pinpointing, you know what, you want salvation, you want eternal life, you want what I can give you, there's some things you need to get right first. There's some things you need to address. There's some things you need to be aware of. There's something you have to do to get that, and that's to repent of your sin. That's to own up. That's to confess. He pinpointed that. And that was like, you know what, when you're having a discussion with someone about Christ or about salvation, you have to get to that point. Like, you can tell them, you know, being a Christian, you know, it gives you this and it's good in this way and there's blessings and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you have to address that point that there's sin in, in every person's heart that has to be dealt with. And Jesus just went straight at it. And so that was like, wow, you know, he just does it in an amazing way and he does it in a few words. Uh, that's just an encouragement to go, you know what, that's, that's what's needed when you talk to someone about salvation. Like you can say all these other things, but at the end of the day, they need to know that sin is what's standing before them and Jesus Christ. Sin is what's standing before them and an eternity of life. 
Okay, so that, I really like that one. That's that was an encouragement to me. I like it. Uh, I've jotted that one down, and I hope I remember it for when I talk to somebody next time. But lock that one away. We're going to move to the next one, uh, John chapter nine. It's kind of weird. It's like I'm having a conversation with you, but only I'm talking. Uh, John chapter nine. Um, what's this one? John chapter nine. Ah, uh, yes. So we're going to have a look down in verse 24. This is where uh, Jesus heals a blind man. He was blind from birth and people are asking, you know, how did he get blind? Was it his parents' sin? Was it his sin? Um, anyway, he heals him and then uh, the, I think it's the Pharisees come along and they're like, hey, what's going on here? Who healed him? You know, healed on the Sabbath. That's wrong. He's obviously not of God because he did that and then the guy's like I don't know who he is he just healed me all I know is I was blind and now I can see and so there's this whole dialogue going on uh, and if you just have a look down in verse 24 uh, so then the ones who were conjecturing about this then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him give God the praise like be honest we know that this man is a sinner he answered and said whether he be a sinner or no I know not one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? And they didn't like that, verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow... We know not from whence he is. So they were very adamant to say, you know what? We know for sure that God spoke through Moses. Uh, we know that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and you know, that he wrote those five books of the Bible and we get a lot of our doctrine from that scripture and all that kind of stuff. They're quoting that. They're saying, we're from Moses. We understand him. Uh, we know that God used him, that kind of thing. But we don't know who this guy is. You're trying to tell me that he did something amazing. You're trying to tell me that he is God or he is God's son. Well, we don't know that and we, we actually don't believe you. Like, he's just done something on the Sabbath day, so he's, he's got to be a sinner, so he can't be of God. So they're having this whole argument about him. And what I got from that last verse, verse 29, when they say, you know, we know that God spoke unto Moses, but we don't know where this guy's from, is I just wrote this point. I said, we've got to be careful that we don't judge things only based off what God has already done or we might not acknowledge what he is doing now or that he can do in the future and I understand this is a little bit different this is talking about you know Moses and they're saying hey we don't know like as Jesus hadn't already revealed everything about himself at this point and we're looking at it from you know in the future and looking back knowing that Jesus was the Son of God at that point and everything that happened after that. But I guess what I'm saying is we've got to make sure that we don't discount that God can use people that we probably thought he couldn't or maybe that he hasn't used yet. Uh, sometimes I think we can downplay what God can do in a young person's life, in a child's life, uh, in an older person's life. And I'm not picking on anyone, but I'm just saying I think sometimes we can think, you know what, he's, he's used these kind of people before, but... I haven't really seen him use that person yet, so I'm probably not going to give too much weight to what they say. You know, maybe if they give me advice and say it's from God, uh, I haven't really seen God do a work in their life yet. So, Do you understand what I'm saying? So we can probably just like 
put some things to the side, going, oh, no, I know he's done this, but I haven't seen him do that yet, so it couldn't be God, but maybe it is. So we just need to be teachable in that, I guess. That was kind of what I got from that, just to be teachable, make sure we're not judging things harshly, not, you know, the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover kind of thing, because, you know, God can use a donkey. (laughs) God can use all sorts of kinds of people uh, in this life. So that was just an encouragement to to make sure we don't judge too harshly and just make sure we see that God can, can use people in all sorts of walks of life. Uh, Okay, last one, and then we're going to be done. Uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Uh, So obviously, well-known story once again. Jesus uh, raises Lazarus Lazarus from the dead. Uh, Mary and Martha have, um, you know, before that, they have some conjecture with Jesus about why he wasn't there, all sorts of things. Um, and I'm probably just slipping one along the way, okay? This is one, but I'll just slip this one in. Um, it, it, as, you know, Mary and Martha kind of complain that, you know, Jesus, why didn't you show up? Uh, what stood out to me was that Jesus doesn't have to be in physical proximity to be able to do a, a miraculous work. And I know we know that because when we don't have Jesus standing before us like they did. Um, but I guess that's a faith thing to know that, you know what, Jesus understands everything, he sees everything, and he can do a work whether he's there or not because he is God. So that stood out to me with Mary and Martha there. Uh, but that's not what we're looking at, so let's move on from there. John chapter 12. Uh, we'll v- read the first two verses, and then we'll drop down to verse 9. So John chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead... So this is after he rose him from the dead, whom he raised from the dead. Verse 2, There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. And then we'll jump down to verse 9. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So you think about it, you know, obviously, a miracle of miracles, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That's going to spread around town very quickly, isn't it? And then shortly after this, you know, they're having a feast. Lazarus is there, Mary and Martha there. Jesus comes and there's other people around. Um, this is where Mary, you know, breaks, puts the ointment on his head, all that sort of stuff. Um, And then just after that, it says that people were there not just because of Jesus, but because Lazarus had been risen from the dead. It's, he was probably almost like a a famous person, like a bit of a rock star, you know, status is what I'm saying. Like, hey, I want to see this for myself. So there would have been a lot of people checking in and just seeing what's going on there. But it says that they didn't just come for Jesus, they came for that. But not only did people come for Lazarus because they were amazed, but then it says there... Uh, where is it? Verse 10. But the chief priests consulted they might put Lazarus also to death. Those guys were there to see Lazarus, but thinking about something completely different than, wow, isn't it great that he's alive? They were thinking, we need to get rid of this guy because because of him, now people are following Christ. Now people are becoming Christians and we don't want that. So what what's the thing? What's the thought here? is this, I've just written this, a Christian will become a target when God does a work in their life and others take notice. 
Now, I know, I know Lazarus didn't exactly do anything himself <laughs> to be raised from the dead, um, but Jesus doing a work in someone's life, that gets people's attention, that can get the enemy's attention, that can get a scoffer's attention, and when that happens, you become a target. So when you're doing a good work for the Lord and when you're influencing people and you're helping people, don't be surprised when you become a little bit of a target from the enemy. Um, I had a conversation with someone just this week about that exact same thing. They're like, you know, this person's making things very difficult for me. And I said, you know what? You're doing the Lord's work nearly every day of the week. Don't be surprised that this thing's happening. I mean, I know it's hard, but isn't that what Jesus said, that you're going to have tribulations and you're going to suffer for his sake and all that sort of stuff. But I know it's hard to take. It's like bittersweet, isn't it? It's hard to take. Like you're doing the Lord's work and you're getting persecuted for it, but at the same time, that's almost a bit confirmation that you're doing a good thing. Um, so that was an encouragement to me just to know that, you know what, I'm going to get persecution, and if it's for the Lord's sake, then that makes it a bit easier to take than if it's just me being silly or me making bad decisions. Uh, you know, if I get persecuted for that, well, that's all on me. But if God can get glory for it, then that's the best outcome, isn't it? So... That's the last one. I have a whole bunch more, but obviously I'm not going to go through all of them. Hopefully some of those, any of those, one of those was a little bit of an encouragement uh, just to chew on a little bit. And I really would encourage you to do that if you haven't done that. Just take a passage. It might even just be a chapter, uh, a whole book. I don't know, just some passage and just break it down into little bits and just chew on it a little bit and just write down the things that the Lord shows you. It can be a real encouragement. All right, I'm going to pray, and then Jill's going to come and take some prayer requests, so let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you once again uh, that you are good to us, that you help us, uh, Father, that you provide opportunity for us to learn and to grow, and uh, Lord, also just to be an influence for you in this world. I pray, Father, that you'd help us for the rest of this week. Uh, Lord, we all have different uh, jobs, we have different relationships, we have different opportunities to share one another, share with other people, who you are and what you can do. And I just pray you'd help us to take those opportunities. I pray that you'd help us to be grateful uh, for the things that we have and to use what we have for your glory, Lord God. Father, help us as we, we read your word, uh, not to rush through it, uh, but really just to, to take our time and to be teachable and learn these things that can be helpful, Lord God. We pray that you would receive all the glory for everything this evening, Lord. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.